we've been on this spiritual inheritance. We are trying to uh, look at our inheritance here. We're on part three of, the, uh, of this in spiritual inheritance that uh, God has given us. And we've been looking at a couple of scriptures, or at least one scripture, uh, mainly in Peter. But I want to also share another one in John chapter 14 as we look at um, more aspects of our spiritual inheritance that are going to come to us in heaven. Peter says, but praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, just, I just love reading. I tell you, once you start to grow in the Lord and your mind starts to be enlightened, it's just neat how everything connects together. Why, why we have what we have. And the reason why we have is because we have this spiritual inheritance is because uh, of what Jesus has done for us. And uh, he has given us new birth because of his death on the cross and we have this living hope through his resurrection because he's not dead we know that we're going to rise from the dead as well and he's given us an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade and we've been focusing on that what's that mean perish spoil or fade and then also it's been it's kept in heaven for us who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, talking about their second coming of Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 14, as he was trying to encourage his disciples just before he went to the cross, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And take you to be where, uh, with me, that you also may be where I am. Amen. So again, Jesus promising to come back again for us there. You know, the Bible promises that those who are disciples of Jesus Christ have this inter eternal inheritance in heaven. And uh, when we are written into someone's will, there comes that moment after the... Uh, testator. I, I love that word. I didn't know that word until I started working with wills for my dad and also Becky and I got our will done. But you know what? I, I'm not talking about a potator. I'm talking about a testator. A testator is someone who makes the will. Not the lawyer, but it's the person who is, uh, is putting the will together. But when the testator, after the testator dies, then the, the will is read and those in it discover what treasures uh, have been given to them by the by the decedent. Uh, the Bible reveals that when you humble yourself under God's authority, when you repent of your rebellion and sin against God and believe in the Savior that he sent and died uh, for you and rose from the day, grave for you, that although you were a child of Satan, although you, though you were a child of Satan, God snatches you away from the devil and adopts you as his legal child. Yeah. But even though you belong to the devil, your father was the devil. The Bible says when you believe in Jesus, when you trust in him, when you surrender to him, he snatches you away from the devil and he adopts you as his legal child. The apostle John says it this way. He says this, yet as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who even believed in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of a man, but of God. Or of a... So we see that John says that God, as many as believed on Jesus, he gave them the right to belong to him as, the, as his children. 
Apostle Paul tells it to us this, this way in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. He says, He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will. Now, ladies, don't get, don't get uh, thrown by that sonship thing. When the Bible talks about sonship, it's talking about all of us. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's inclusive of, uh, of, of both genders. So that's just the way the, the, the scriptures look at it. Uh, it's like in, the old, like in the Bible when it calls, when it says brethren, he's talking, he's talking to the cistern too. <laughs> you know, not just the brethren, he's talking to the cistern too. So uh, sonship is, is for, for you ladies as well. And he said he predestined us before we were born, before the world was even created to be adopted as his sons, as his children through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will. The Greek word for adoption to sonship right there is actually a legal term referring to the full legal standing of an adopted heir in a Roman family, in the Roman culture. So that's actually a legal term. Like God, he didn't do anything underhandedly. It's all, it's all legal and square, you know. God didn't do anything. He didn't sweep anything out of the rug to, to get you in as his children. But he, he, uh, he did all the right things through sacrificing his son to make you and you and I his children. Now this is kind of a very special feature here of salvation in Jesus and this uh, spiritual inheritance we have. I don't, I don't tell you this to puff you up um, with pride, but I want to tell you this to strengthen your understanding and your humble faith. That when you become a Christian, you are not a member of God's household standing at the back of the room. When you become a Christian, you're not one of God's family. And so, yeah, it's that one. Uh, there's a place for you in the back of God's room. Kind of like, you know, every family, you know, I, I remember I've talked to people and they say, Pastor, I'm just the black sheep, you know, I'm just the, I'm just the black sheep of the family. And, uh, you know, that's my way I am. I've, uh, everyone looks at me, I'm the black sheep and everybody else, you know, they're just, uh, you know, they kind of look down on me. I'm here to tell you that when you become God's child, there's no second class citizens. Amen. There's no black sheep in God's family. That when you become a Christian, you know what? Every one of us are thoroughbreds. That's the truth. Every one of us are thoroughbreds. I reminded my children as through life as they were growing up. I said, every one of my babies are thoroughbreds. You need to realize that. You're thoroughbreds. That, that God's called you to be a thoroughbred. And in heaven, we are thoroughbreds. All God's children are, are thoroughbreds. Uh, no, no black sheep then there. And, and, and that, isn't that wonderful? We're all adopted into his family. We're at the front of the room. There's no second class citizens. You have full legal sonship. Full legal then, you know, uh, um, inheritance there to all the treasures that God has planned for his family. And you may have to retrain your mind to really believe that. But let me tell you, as you worship the Lord frequently, as you worship the Lord daily in your quiet time and your, your daily worship, you can retrain your mind. You and I are full legal beneficiaries of all God's gifts to us planned in eternity and there are no strings attached. There are no taxes and there's no fees in probate court. 
And it is something that God has given us freely. I think I can say this, uh, that you would, you would agree that our first spiritual inheritance is eternal life. The first thing we get from God when, when he saves us is eternal life. You say, well, eternal life to come. No, eternal life now. We possess eternal life now. That's something that we possess at the very moment. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 6, he says this. He says that we were dead in what? In our transgressions and sins. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. And that means that all of us at one time were spiritually dead inside. Before you, became a, before you were a Christian, before you were born again, before you became God's child... You were dead inside. And, you know, what, what, does, that, what does that mean? Well, if we were spiritually dead, it means we loved to sin. We enjoyed it. It didn't bother us. I mean, we had a guilty conscience, but, you know, it didn't freak us out too much. And we we prone to want to do the wrong thing. Uh, Paul said that we were dead in sin. Uh, sin is, again, violating God's laws. Uh, what he says is right and wrong. Um, sin is honoring my opinion of what right and wrong uh, above God's view. Transgressions are different. Transgressions are ignorantly violating God's standards. Things that we do, we didn't know we were sinning. We didn't know we were doing the wrong thing. You know? You say, well, are you still, are you guilty? Well, yes. Still. Uh, we're still guilty of that, you know? It's like um, a person may ignorantly drink poison, but they're still going to die. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, we were all dead in our sins, things we willfully did against God, but also even those things that we didn't really realize were sinful, that was still killing us. We were still dead in those transgressions as well. Spiritual death came uh, to all of us because we loved sin and darkness more than we loved righteousness, the Bible tells us. And Paul says that we all will, again, we were spiritually dead uh, due to our known sin and also our unknown sin. Um, and our spiritual death was evident because we very willfully walked in the ways of this world and the patterns of our, of our father, the devil. We lived in disobedience to God's will, just like our father, the devil, does. We committed secret sins. We sinned things we wouldn't let people know about. And, and we followed the passions of our sinfulness. We, we, we looked at things that we shouldn't look at. You know, we, we, we did. No one was with us, maybe, but we, we looked at things we really shouldn't look at. And we used language in ways that, that uh, dishonored God and profaned holy things and hurt other people. We, we lusted in our hearts and we misused our bodies at times. We did things that were ungodly and wicked. And that placed us under the judgment or under the wrath of God, the Bible says. You know, what does it mean to be under the wrath of God? I thought people, you know, I thought God loved me, Pastor. I thought God loved me. Uh, uh, of course he does, but I got to tell you something. It seemed like today so many people's minds are muddled when it comes to understanding why uh, God's love and also God's wrath, God's judgment. Sometimes it gets exasperating for me just thinking, oh, why doesn't anyone want to think this through? Think that, to understand that for love to be, 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 be legitimate, there has to be a judgment, you know. When the Bible teaches us that sinners and transgressors are under God's wrath and anger, what does that mean? It means that although God loves you, 
Your rebellion violates his laws of righteousness and holiness and truth. You are not meeting his standard and he will have no choice but to punish you because he's a righteous and a holy and a good and gracious king. He, He doesn't do anything underhandedly or sneakily. He doesn't break the rules. And so... He's figured out, he's developed a a brilliant plan of how can he, because he loves us, how can he rescue us from his wrath? How can he rescue us from his judgment? That if we're sinners, he has to punish us. How can he rescue us? And that's what Jesus is all about, isn't it? Yeah, if we don't repent, then we'll have to be punished eternally for our sin. Sinners are the Bible says are currently living on a path that leads to destruction and at present they're under this cloud of judgment and they're under God's wrath. You say, you mean people who aren't Christians are under God's wrath now? That's what the Bible says. They're under God's displeasure. They're, God frowns upon them. But I thought he loves them. He does love them, but he frowns on them at the same time because they're sinners, because they're breaking his laws, because he's holy and they're unholy. They're wicked. He's righteous. You see, we need to unmuddle our thinking these days. Wow. You know, God loves us. He doesn't want to judge us, but he wants to forgive us and, and forgive all our transgressions and transform us within. Taking away that old life of sin and transgressions and giving us eternal life instead, transforming us and giving us eternal life inside us even now here on this earth. All of us at one time were in a real spiritual pickle, I tell you. We were under God's wrath and dead inside and hopeless. And then we heard of Jesus. And the Spirit made our minds alive to be able to believe on Jesus. And to, to know that we must surrender to Jesus. And when we did that, we cooperated with Him, then the miracle took place. What we couldn't do on our own, God helped us to accomplish. As we said yes to Him, He made the miracle happen transformed us inside, took away the stony heart that didn't want to obey God and put in their uh, desire to obey God and to want to glorify God and to please God and be so grateful that he forgave us of our sins. You know, that's the, that's the miracle there. That's the miracle of eternal life coming to us. Amen. God, in his rich mercy, Paul says, made us alive with Jesus due to his great love for us. He He used the same power that he raised Jesus from the dead with to miraculously raise our dead spirits to eternal life. Being a Christian, loved ones, isn't just trying to follow the Bible rules, isn't just trying to follow church rules and acting in a certain way. No, 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 no. Being a Christian is believing and surrendering to Jesus and experiencing that miraculous transformation within that secret place inside of you called your soul. And you are made brand new on the inside. The old is gone. The new has come. Amen. And uh, the joy of His presence flows. You know, sometimes I... I, I, I don't know where the joy is in the church sometimes. Where's the joy in our hearts? You know, if the Holy Spirit's within there, why, why isn't there more joy and happiness that, that we're saved, that we're, that we're filled with His presence and that we're walking with Him? I think, Lord, where's the joy at? And uh, that I, I want to always be joyful and, and remembering what you've done for me. That I think joy goes along, doesn't it, with that eternal life that He's given us. Amen. You... 
you, you, you realize to the consternation of the devil and to his hatred, you no longer belong to him. Amen. I tell you, aren't you glad you don't belong to him? You belong to the devil. You don't belong to him anymore. Yeah, but you know, you realize that you're no longer ruled by darkness. You're no longer ruled by, by this, the error of this world, but the, actually the light of God's word shines within you. And it's amazing that how did this happen? You're, you, it's, it's unexplainable when you think about the eternal life that comes into your life. I mean, yeah, you, you understand how it happened, but you think, how did it actually happen? How did, how did he take what was dead and make it alive? Uh, it's, isn't that something? Wow. And you realize that you're no longer your own, but that you are his workmanship. You're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what Paul says, do good works that bring blessing and honor to God. Wow. So God's children are no longer spiritually dead. Their spirits possess this actual eternal life now. And that, I tell you, it's... Uh, it's, it's in a dying, yes, it's in a dying body. <laughs> it's, it's in a dying, corruptible, uh, corrupt, I should say, physical body. But So our, our first gift is eternal life. That's our first gift of inheritance. And then we've been talking some on our second, on our, our, our second gift, of course, is this glorious body we're going to get, this, uh, that he's going to give us. We've been speaking about that some. We're um, going to cast off these dying, weak, corrupt physical bodies, either, either in death or when Jesus comes back again. And, and at that time, in the twinkling of an eye, uh, those who have died in Christ will be honored first with a new glorious body. And, and uh, how will God do it? I, I, I don't know. He's somehow going to collect all the molecules wherever your body's been dispersed to. Uh, if it's all in the grave, oh, good. If it's been, you know, if it's in some, I don't know, if it's on the bottom of the ocean, wherever it is, God's going to be able to collect all the molecules and the dust of your old body and, and um, put it together for a brand new glorious body. And uh, uh, John tells us this. He says this. He says, well, he says, dear, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Jesus appears, Christ appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Believing that, that when we see Jesus coming in the clouds that we'll be transformed, encourages us to stay true, to not corrupt ourselves, to not give in to corruption. You know, Peter tells us, as, let me try to wind us down here. Peter tells us that our bodies, these new bodies God gives us, Christ gives us, they're never going to perish. We talked about that. Um, nothing like these bodies we have now. All the weaknesses of our body, the, our minds, the weakness of our minds that we presently experience are not going to be a part of those eternal bodies. Our bodies will be perfect um, and we'll always, uh, you know, we've already talked about that in previous messages, but our new bodies will not only be pain-free, and uh, they'll also be need-free, but they'll also, Peter says, they'll be undefiled, or they won't be spoiled. No longer will, they, will they, we fight against the tempter. No longer will we have to resist sin. We'll no longer, will be made perfect spiritually. We will be incapable of sin, actually. Um, and because we have fought the good fight that Paul talks about, we have finished the race and we have kept the faith. That's why we will have this, this inability to sin in heaven because we've already fought the battle here. It's over. 
And when we die, we will go to our rest or our reward. Our labors are finished. The, the Lord tells us here in Revelation uh, chapter 14, look what he says. He says, um, this calls for impatient endurance on part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. And then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this, that blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Again, talking about these days. Yes, says the Spirit, for they will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Yeah, that's our hope. That's our promise. But we'll rest from our labor that will someday finish the race. That someday we'll, we'll finish the battle. Someday we'll, we'll, we'll know that we, we have uh, been faithful to obey that last command or doctrine of the Scriptures. That's what keeping the faith is all about. And we'll go to heaven, no longer to have to res you know, resist the devil, fight the world. No, and the enemies are all gone. That's our great promise. So Peter tells us that our new bodies will also not fade. They're not going to fade away. That Right now, everything we know always changes, doesn't it? It always changes for the negative. I just looked at my truck yeah, yesterday, and I thought, where did that rust spot come from? You know, I thought, goodness gracious, look at that. Um, you know, I didn't see that. It wasn't there last month, and there it is now. Everything in this world fades. Any of the most precious possessions rust, don't they? Deteriorate, and they are destroyed. And, and um, people we love, pets we love, cherish, they, they die from sickness, age or accidents I tell you right now everything on this earth fades away but Peter says the inheritance we have will never fade away everything we have now gradually disappears or dies but Peter says no he says this doesn't he he says in verses 23-25 for you have been born again but not to a life that will quickly end your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God as the scriptures say people are like grass their beauty is like the flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God remains forever. Amen. Well, let me close with this thought. You know, our inheritance in heaven is uh, not of this world. Colors will never, will never lose their brightness. Light will never become dim. Everything will retain its freshness and vigor and strength and, and um, health and uh, permanently. It lasts forever, won't it? And last thing Peter says, he says, these are all reserved for you in heaven. These are unreserved for you. It's already prepared. It's being kept in a secure place in heaven where thieves do not break in or steal, like Jesus talked about in Matthew 6. It's being kept especially there for you. Your portion will not be given to anybody else. Everybody will get, the, get their portion. God has given you his Holy Spirit, again, as that pledge and that promise. That when we feel the Holy Spirit in our lives, we know He's there. That's the guarantee that the inheritance is also there in heaven. So, our spiritual inheritance, our eternal life, our new eternal bodies won't perish. We won't sin. They won't fade away. They, they won't weaken in any way. They are being kept safe and reserved in heaven, waiting for us. That one to that final day when we finally get home. Now, what will our home look like? And that's why Jesus is talking about my father's, my father's house or many rooms. And we'll look at that next time, okay? Lord, today as we think about this uh, wonderful inheritance you gave us, you have given us, Father, we, uh, we want to stay, Father, in touch with you. 
in such a way that we know we are spiritually alive. Father, we, we want to stay spiritually alive. We are in a world right now that uh, would love for us to compromise our faith, compromise our, our morals, compromise our convictions, compromise on the truth of God. We are in a world right now where the devil hammers us at times with all kinds of problems to try to discourage us from trusting you. And uh, Father, we know that what we have is a treasure inside of us. Or the world and the devil wouldn't be fighting so hard to steal it from us. God, we pray that, that we will just value, learn to value and draw closer to you this treasure that we will, we will value it, Lord, when we draw closer to you. We pray that, oh God, we pray that we will, something will change in us, that there'll be a, a new thrill a new joy of not just being the same old, same old Christian that we've always been. But Lord, be a, we'll be inspired to go the extra mile seeking Jesus. Go the extra mile wanting to know more about you. That we can just be one of those once and for all sold out again today Christians that the world is disgusted about and the devil hates. Father, we don't want to. We don't want to talk like the world. We don't want to think like the world. We don't want to. We don't want to, if you will, smell like the world, Lord. We we don't want to act like the world. We want to act like Jesus. We pray that we will. In your name, we thank you for our inheritance. We give you great praise. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand up together. Thank you so much for refreshing my soul today with your worship. And be sure to bless somebody and encourage them before you leave, eh?